three men, with identities forged in the white-hot fires of the 90s comic book boom, now ready to re-examine the era where heroes became extreme, and what magazine gave rise to a market of speculation. If you've got the guts, prepare to enter the world of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to episode 36 of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, the podcast where we re-examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine, reminding you all to dispose of your unconscious genetic clones in a wood chipper instead of a smokestack to avoid years of hoodies and headaches. I'm Adam. And though I have no idea what Hellshock is, something tells me we're going to talk a lot about it, more than I care to know, probably. I'm Michael. <laughs> I am neither a brute nor a babe. Uh, my name is Steven Zadak. <laughs> yes, because Steven Sapellus is currently on hiatus for the summer to film his upcoming movie UFO Club, which he is writing and directing and also casting. Yes, UFO Club will feature two amazingly talented thespians. You might know from your favorite 90s comic book podcast, so <laughs> stay tuned. Uh, but luckily, yes, we have this very special guest, Steven. Uh, to join us this time around from the very funny We Hate Movies podcast. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This actually dovetailed really nicely. You had emailed me after I had just kind of went on a very bizarre pandemic-inspired Wizard Magazine eBay hunt, and my wife was like, oh, that's cool. And I'm like, no, it's going to pay off, and now I'm on a podcast, so it all makes sense. It's a business expense now. So, exactly. so Steve, I, I got to ask you, before we get deeper into this... I haven't listened to your podcast, but as a movie buff, do you really hate movies? Like, or is it just you choose to watch movies that you, that you don't like? What is yeah. the theme of your podcast? Like, just so I know. Yeah, we started, God, uh, 11 years ago. It was a thing where me and my buddies, Andrew Jupin, Chris Cabot, and Eric Sisko were all like kind of hanging out and just like kind of goofing on the movies just in our apartment. Andrew was like, let's do a podcast. I'm like, I literally don't know what that is. I have no idea what this, <laughs> this that, that medium was. And uh, we were doing different kinds of comedy at the time. It sounded like the thing that was going to be the least successful but we just started doing it and it's it is it, it started more as like a a b-movie poke fun of fest kind of a thing like but a mystery it, science theater 3000 kind of exactly which is what, what i grew up and i was like literally expected because it was to, in my mind so close that people were going to boo me off the internet because like you they already did that you asshole and i'm like yeah but everybody does that now but yeah i mean it, it's, it's it was it started as that and it just sort of like grew into its own brand where yeah we'll still do like a lot of crappy b movies. Uh, we just did The Prophecy in June. Uh, but we also do stuff like the 101 Dalmatians remake. So it's like movies that are like, not exactly the worst movies in the world, but we just kind of use it as a way to jump off and do very bad impressions and kind of tell lewd jokes. It's all its all a ruse so we can keep hanging out together kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Michael, if you loved Andrew Shue on Melrose Place, his character Billy, <laughs> they've got a great Billy impression that goes around. It's, it's a horse tooth thing. I mean, like he's a much more handsome a man than I will, <laughs> will ever, ever be. But he's just got, oh, hello, Allison. You know, just kind of that kind of a going on. Uh, that's our, one of our side shows. In the quarantine, we kind of went nuts and decided to do Beverly Hills, Deno Tuno, and Melrose Place back to back to sort of keep sanity, which was fun. Yeah. So my knowledge of Melrose Place is limited to about mostly just the episode of Seinfeld, where Jerry yes. gets interrogated on a lie detector by the police if he actually watches the show. That's my knowledge. <laughs> 
knowledge of Melrose Place, <laughs> but yeah, that's right. That's 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 where it should stay. That's that's the high art <laughs> element of Melrose Place. So, Steve, you are known over on your show for literally being like the resident comic book authority. The other guys always throw to you when you guys are talking about comic books. And on We Hate Movies, you're often described as even wearing a comic book T-shirt. Is is that always the case for you? Would you say? Uh, literally, right now, I'm wearing a Blue Beetle T-shirt. I love it. It rules. Yeah, I mean, I'm. It's funny, and I think I'll be outed as this episode goes on as not as like I, I'm a, a real comic book fan but like comic book geek has an informative element that I do not have like <laughs> I feel like I have huge gaps and I'm always getting caught in them I'm just, I'm a mostly a DC comics guy and a lot of Marvel X-Men kind of stuff I worked for Marvel for a little bit which was fun so a little bit of stuff there but I feel like whenever like you know I meet real comic book enthusiasts that are just much better at it than I am I'm always like oh god I'm 10 steps behind in this conversation <laughs> Okay, Michael good. is feeling very simpatico right now. Okay. Yeah. I feel I feel like my people are here. It's good. Because <laughs> the funny thing, like for me, any of like my friends and family who have children or whoever that are not comic book fans or enthusiasts, they all have their children ask me for input. Yes. And like I'm like, okay, cool. I can be that guy. Then Adam approached me and says, hey, you want to make a podcast about comics? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I've been reading comics for 30 plus years. Then I joined this podcast and I was like, wow. Wow, there's really huge gaps of things that I did not know existed. Exactly. And like going back to this wizard thing, I'm like, nope, don't know who that guy is. Interesting. I mean, like, I, I mean, a lot of it I do know, like, especially this is my wheelhouse is, is the 90s. You know, I, I'm 37. So like I, I watched the 90s boom happen and, and fall and I wound up falling out for a bit, getting back in. And I've always been di dipping my toe in and out of, of current comics. Yeah, oh. that, that's that's what we got to find out. We, we want to go back to the beginning. We got to know where the bug bit you and then how you made it through the 90s and what you were reading. So Steve, please tell us your origin story. an older brother like the, the Superman movie was big in my household that was definitely the bug that bit me and then obviously Batman threw that but like there was a comic book store I grew up in the Bronx and it was next to a closed porno theater uh, <laughs> called the Globe Theater it, it, that tracks for, for the Bronx that tracks yes, exactly it was on White Plains Road it was this enormous like taxi driver uh, what do you call it there marquee and this little crappy comic book store called Wow Comics there my first comic was Justice League Europe issue number 50 and it was one of those things where like I knew these characters and again I always had a prevalence for the DC stuff Wizard specifically was really cool to me because didn't grow up with a ton of money and it was a thing where like I could put five bucks together every month and know what was going on in comics flipping through this and flipping through the other ones I, I realized how much of my knowledge I got from this like the Jack Kirby thing I probably had this issue and that's probably the first time I heard of Jack Kirby you know what I mean like yeah. that's kind of how it filled those gaps and like kind of again pre-internet you're not able to go to Wikipedia and just see what, what's happening. So it's like I could either get three dollar fifty comics that you know one's a, a second part of whatever, one's terrible, or I can get a, a whole three hundred page magazine and like know what's going on with everybody. I, I too, I think I learned who Jack Kirby was through Wizard magazine. Like I wasn't going back and reading sixties era Fantastic Four at the t you know at that age. I was learning about these legacy guys and these you know legendary titans of the industry.
history in this magazine as well. Yeah, I mean, Wizard, it was Cliff's Notes for comics. I mean, yeah. ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Now, speaking of all that excitement, you know, sometimes you might write to a pen pal, someone who might be able to fill you in on comics. And a lot of the readers of Wizard had those questions. So I think it's time we open up Willie Lumpkin's Mailbag. There seems to be some confusion with the readership who are writing into Wizard about what magazines are actually published by Garib Seamus, okay? <laughs> this letter written by Carlos Pino of Patterson, New Jersey is uh, just one example of that. He says, I want to know what ran through your head when you had Magneto take out Wolverine's adamantium. And also, why did you have Sabretooth join the X-Men? I mean, that was really dumb. And Wizard's response, Jim McLaughlin says here, this is a surprisingly common type of letter. So just to clear up any confusion, let's set the record straight. Marvel Comics had Magneto take out Wolverine's metal bones and linked up Sabretooth with the X-People. They also did everything else that ever happened to any Marvel Comics character. We we are Wizard Press. We publish Wizard, Entertainment Retailing, and Collector Sports Look. We do not publish comics. Companies like Marvel, DC, and Dark Horse make the comics. We just report on them. Capiche? <laughs> just like the New York Times would report on news in the world. <laughs> yeah, why'd you raise taxes, New York Times? <laughs> yeah, I really was pissed off when Sports Illustrated caused the Knicks to lose the 1994 finals. It was really, really annoying. Yeah, Shame on them. Exactly. <laughs> All right, now, speaking of how Wizard was going to uh, stay in business, there also seemed to be a concern about if they were going to be shutting their doors, even in 1994. So Victor Favela Jr. of Glendale, Arizona, says, is Wizard Magazine going to stop after a period of time? And Wizard answers, not as far as I know. We're in this for the long haul. Unless that is, you know something I don't. I hope you don't. <laughs> the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the I like my job. And I just don't see myself with a career in the French frying arts. So it's definitely a situation where Wizard still would not close their doors and they would do it very abruptly, but they wouldn't for 17 more years. So they mm. were hanging in uh, for the long haul. And just random fun fact here, this guy's right again from Glendale, Arizona. I used to live in Glendale, Arizona before I got married. Very big comics town. There's actually a oh. lot of very nice comic book stores there. So Interesting. Yeah. And good weather, I imagine. Yeah, the desert. You like it dry? Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've, uh, I've never really been in the desert. I feel like I'll be buried there eventually for my gambling debts, but that's a whole other situation. <laughs> I have a question for you, Steve. Have you ever written in to a comic book or to Wizard or anything like that? I was trying to pieces together i'm almost positive that i did and i might have done a really shitty letter art of gambit that i oh. mailed and i'm sure it wound up in jim mclaughlin's garbage um <laughs> I wound up having to send him an email once he worked at the Hero Initiative and like did all that stuff. And I was like, so like doing the thing of like, do I say it? Do I say it? Because it's, I mean, like I, I grew up reading like Jim McLaughlin for whatever reason was like, this is the funniest man who ever lived. When you're 13 years old, it's like it's this true. guy, it's Jim Carrey and then Jim McLaughlin right above him. <laughs> Wait, where does Jim Belushi fit in there? Come on, <laughs> oh, definitely at the bottom. Uh, <laughs> I was very like nerdy starstruck with him and I, I believe I just left it alone which was the smart usually especially on the lower end of celebrity like pretty much leave it alone you know what i mean unless like you know you're 
stuck at a bus stop like hey man i like your stuff you know all right well with that you know we turn to wizards so often to get the news on comics and there's plenty of it this time around so michael why don't you take us into wizard news funny that they have me do the wizard news well you're learning it all in real time that's it it. yeah it is it's it's like breaking news for me 30 years (laughs) later (laughs) so joe casada and jimmy palmiotti announced that they are following the trend of every other popular artist since 1992 to start their own comics imprint called Event Comics. I've actually heard of Event Comics. Oh, Funny enough. Through which they will publish Ash, a firefighter superhero. We will be seeing much more of Ash in the pages of Wizard in issue 37. So stay tuned. Ash was one of those characters that was always in Wizard for some reason. I was like, I didn't know. I never, I could never even find a cop, but I was like, (laughs) this guy's got to be huge. It's the Hulk, Spider-Man, and Ash. Yes. <laughs> Wizard pushed that hard. It may have been so hard for them to get certain things in certain months. So, like, now that you have a new company in Events Comics, they're like, here, we'll send you whatever you want. Yeah. Get get well, our thing out there. And I'll tell you, I mean, honestly, like, what it comes down to is they wanted to be on the cusp of the next hot character, right? Mm-hmm. So, if they could be the ones who introduced you to this new Joe Casada creation, like, Wizard is the place to be. And I think they were hoping for that with Ash. And so they pushed it as much as they could. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll i spill the beans right now. They get Ash on the cover of the next <laughs> issue. And his comic is literally not even out yet. I was always kind of curious with those. I mean, obviously Image made a ton of money, but like all these little startups, was it kind of like a take the money and run situation or did people take baths on them? Like, or kind of, it just sort of depended on the story. I, like, I, don't, I, I never know like how think, that shook out financially for folks. I mean, from my observation, I think a lot of these very popular creators got so sick and tired of Marvel and DC just taking so much of the pot of these characters that they invent that they thought, hey, you know what? I need to get some sort of return on investment for my stuff. Sure. And from what I've observed in the 36 issues that we've gone through <laughs> and, and the bonus issues, very few of them really strike gold. Like there's very few spawns that actually come <laughs> yeah. out, out of this, you know? Yeah, well, they thought they were the stars, but it was really the characters they were drawing well and yeah. so they said, well, I got ideas. I'll, I'll put them out here. And, and they didn't have the business savvy to make it work. So they realized, oh, the infrastructure of DC and Marvel, that actually helped everything get out there to people where it could be sold, you know? Yeah. That's what I, I was kind of interested in the McLaughlin and the letters column that I read in this issue. He's really taking a lot of shots at, at the startups, you know what I mean? About, you know, that they're just pale imitations of such and such. It's like Lobo versus God knows who. And he's like, well, since he's just a rip off Lobo, I think Lobo would win kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Rob Liefeld's blood wolf was who he was referring yes. to <laughs> have you ever listened to his podcast it's, it's he, he talks a lot of shit about wizard which i loved I was oh, like, that, that's how we got blocked Steve. Oh, really? like, <laughs> he, he blocked us and he called us sub dipshit podcast that worships wizard magazine <laughs> that is our quote that is our tagline for the podcast I, I hope i mean i i enjoy that man's twitter as a way like i don't like i mean he's a he's like a hair metal band like a living hair metal band it's not necessarily good. It's not necessarily bad. But if it's your cup of tea, I love that 
you guys got blocked. And I, I'm, but I, now I'm nervous. Like, I hope I don't get blocked just by association. Yeah, you, you better watch it, Steve. Better watch it. <laughs> like he posted on his social media recently that he's going to be doing some tours of, of different cons and comic shops. There's a small part of me that wants to go to one of these things and just wear my wizard's t-shirt and like <laughs> yes. a wizard's hat and just like slap a bumper sticker right on his like the presentation table. <laughs> it's like an artist alley or whatever he is and be like, here, I'm the guy you blocked. <laughs> I will buy I, you a full-size replica Batmobile if you do this, Michael. It's, well, it was a small trade magazine of the 1990s. You guys are having fun with it. It's totally fine. Yeah. Mr. Liefeld, if you please. <laughs> Speaking of creator-owned imprints, just after the announcement in a recent issue of Wizard that Mike Grell's Shaman's Tears, my favorite, would finally be published Published again through Axis Comics, Larry Stroman has announced that he will be shutting down operations due to a dispute with his partner, Todd Johnson, and a statement that says, over the last year, with Image and Axis, my artistic output has been minimal. This drastic action is regrettable, but it is time to return to what I do best, art. So, the fate of Shaman's Tears beyond issue number four is yet to be revealed <laughs> but you can bet we'll keep you posted because i'm dying to know what happened to <laughs> michael loves that shaman's tears uh, oh. it's one of those things that you just sit there and you're like what 13 year old kid wants to read a book about shaman's tears like <laughs> like oh, i just want to see somebody go in a comic shop in 1994 and say i need that shaman tears goodness <laughs> i'm pretty sure that's why it closed down because like three people did that nationwide yeah. yeah so in more publishing news not only will marvel be publishing a line of disney comics as reported recently and disney will eventually buy them they will also put out books featuring harvey comics characters like casper richie rich and many many more steven actually knows who is quoted in the article? He's got the connections. Yeah, so Stephen, our co-host, is not here to tell us the full story. However... Oh, thank God. You got, you, you scared the s*** out of me. It's not you. I, I got nothing, dude. I got nothing. <laughs> no, this is Stephen Sapellis. Okay, and uh, yeah, so he knows this guy who was very influential over at Harvey. And it turns out I was doing a little research. I was like, what were these comics and why would Marvel publish Harvey characters? It's because the Casper live action action film was about to come out mm. and the Richie Rich film with Macaulay Culkin. Mm. So they were like, oh, we want to be the source of all the comics and magazines mm. associated with those blockbusters. <laughs> yeah, yes. that's that's just that's a license to print money, man. That movie made a million dollars. That comic will, will make like 600. That's going to yeah. be a lot. <laughs> Marvel also announced officially that Marvel's 2, the rumored follow-up to the Alex Ross painted series, has been canceled. According to writer Kurt Buzak, Alex Ross was not returning to the series and he was not able to write to the strengths of new artist Tristan Shane, so he decided to bow out. Wow, I had no idea. Did they ever do a Marvels 2? Like even... 
Well, so so we we reached out to Kurt Busick online and uh, on Twitter. He actually told us that they basically produced it as two separate types of stories, and one of them was painted, but it just it wasn't officially ever Marvels. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, that was the beef with the Kingdom Come sequel too. It was like Ross was involved, but not really, and it's just sort of like cover only, and like that's what's selling the ticket. And I mean, yeah. like, Kingdom Come is one of my favorite things in the world, but at the same time, like the art is a lot of yeah. Exactly. Finally, Stan Lee has been given a lifetime contract by Marvel Entertainment Group at the age of 72, having been with the publisher since 1939. So this is essentially where Stan Lee becomes executive producer Stan Lee. (laughs) And just give me all the money. (laughs) (laughs) And just the Stan Lee created everything, as everybody knows. Oh, yeah. I mean, every comic book character was 90%. I I don't know where it came from. It just came out of my head. And it was wonderful. And they they let me do it. And I'm so grateful. But it was me. It's fitting that in the, uh, he's always standing on Jack Kirby's grave. And in this one, it's just like, well, Mighty Marvelites, I got a huge contract. I signed it on Jack Kirby's gravestone. Excelsior. I mean, and it's true. I mean, this is literally, yeah, right after Jack Kirby's death, they make this announcement that is a little suspicious. I didn't even make that connection. I love Stanley. He's given us so many different characters, but I don't like, especially nowadays with the MCU, when certain times characters get associated with him. Like, he didn't make Captain America. Captain America is so iconic, but he he, he was there during the time, but he didn't make Captain America. And I wish people knew the, the differentiation of that, you know, and like who he made. He made a lot of characters. He didn't make all of them. So. Exactly. And it's a thing where like, you know, and, and the finances stuff too, like he, I mean, that that contract, I'm sure was okay. You know what I mean? I'm sure it, it uh, picked up when Marvel went nuclear, but like at the same time, like Steve Ditko doesn't get that contract. You right. know what I mean? Like all these dudes that like were living in poverty who yeah. just couldn't sell themselves as well as Stan did. Now, the one thing I will say, though, in Stan's defense is that a lot of these artists, you know, and these other people he was collaborating with are kind of grumpy people, and they yep. and they, they kind of create the problems themselves. And from the reports I've seen mm. and from the things, a lot of, I mean, Steve Ditko's a recluse, you know, yeah. like, he, he doesn't want to be involved, you know, so it's like, they'd be open to getting the money, but, like, Stanley's in there promoting the product yeah. for yeah. all those years, forever. Like, he says, I love Marvel, I love Marvel. The other guy's like, ah, Marvel screwed me. I don't like him. Like, so. you know, like I love John Romita Sr., but he doesn't get the credit for some of the stuff that he did all those years ago. And he's one of the godfathers of comics, if you think about it, of this era, you know? So. And I mean, like, that's the problem, too. And I mean, it's not it's not Stan's fault. And also, Adam, never correct me. I will speak of the dead all the time. No, um, <laughs> but it, uh, it, it, it it's, it's not his fault necessarily. But at the same time, like, if you ask somebody who created Wolverine, they're like, well, Stan Lee, you know what I mean? And it's yeah, just like, that assume, just bums yeah. me out you know yeah no exactly so that's our wizard news for issue 36 adam what do we have in our table of contents oh well here we go so this uh issue we have joe casada and jimmy palmiotti are back i mean they have produced (laughs) so many covers already for wizard magazine it's no wonder they are favorites in the office there but they are presenting us with what i would call a very messy spider-man cover there's broken glass everywhere i mean he's fighting 
fighting all his major villains. But I mean, this was like the new standard edition, right? It's like people know who Spider-Man is. He's got a new cartoon series on Fox about to come out. So that's going to sell. But initially, issue 36 of Wizard was supposed to have an alternate cover for the comic shops featuring John Byrne's Next Men. But it was bumped in favor of a Rob Liefeld cover featuring Shaft and Badrock from Youngblood. I'm going to read here from the Wizard Big Book of Covers. Okay, so this is this is how Wizard describes what went down. They say, after taking a short sabbatical from comics, artist Rob Liefeld busily planned his triumphant return. While we had already had a Youngblood cover planned for the next issue to tie into the hoopla, Liefeld called at the last minute and pushed hard to get a Bad Rock Shaft cover on this issue as well. It ended up running and put the kibosh on artist John Byrne's Next Men cover we had originally planned to use. That's the one I'm probably more familiar with. I think I might have had that cover. This one I've never seen before, which I'm well, hiding. The, the, I've never the seen issue this cover 37 is nearly identical. This oh, was okay. unnecessary for Rob to get <laughs> oh, 36 and 37, okay? And uh, but it's no wonder that John Byrne hates Rob Liefeld. He literally was just talking about this on his podcast. To this day, John Byrne will not talk to him at a con or anything else. But think about it. He's stealing his reading audience, yep. steals all his money, basically, by getting his book sold and John Byrne can't sell anything, steals his chance to get back in the public eye with a wizard cover. So, I mean, it's just like Rob Liefeld's like this superstar and John Byrne's like, what about? me i i totally buy that he was i mean that's the thing he was another like kind of stanley guy it's like you know x amount of talent but mostly like i can talk my way out of the room kind of a thing you know what i mean yeah and i have an actual theory that i think is is very very plausible for why rob got his way but i will save that for next time around uh, as we talk about issue 37's cover but getting back to spider-man here one of the first articles here is send in the clones is it the clone saga already finally here yeah i didn't think it was so <laughs> early. I didn't think it was so early either. So Ben Riley's coming? Yeah, so what we have here is that Marvel is announcing that they are bringing back the Spider-Clone who appeared in Amazing Spider-Man 149 as part of a new major storyline. I think we had no idea just how major that it would go on for years, which is why we thought it started later. Yeah. So according to Marvel head honcho Tom DeFalco, he says, quote, it's getting hard to surprise readers. This will, if they miss (laughs) it, they will forever hate themselves. Chop, chop, cigar. (laughs) I'm gonna surprise them with the shittiest idea they expect <laughs> good ideas what if i gave them a terrible one and you well, know so, what they're doing yeah. they're bringing back the clone saga now in of 2021 course. with miles morales getting clones that makes yeah. sense <laughs> it, is, it is finally time for it to come around again they have actually tackled the topic before in what if number 30 which is what if spider-man's clone had survived but uh writer jm Mateus is adamant that this saga is gonna have a very different ending than that imaginary tale and again regarding the the look of this returning character which i think was the most like mind-blowing thing that we saw when it appeared on a comics page tom lyle the artist who designed this new character still unnamed uh it says quote it's a non-costume costume (laughs) (laughs) it's a dark red bodysuit with full face mask that's similar to the one on the original black costume he also has a sweatshirt on with a different spider logo and the web shooters are on the outside 
outside of the suit. <laughs> I feel like the sweatshirt always read to me as depressed. You know what yes. I mean? It's just sort of like, you're not that comfortable with your body. There's a pizza stain <laughs> on there. You're going to go out there and fight some crime. I do love that costume, the, the, yes. the, the Scarlet Spider look. I just, I don't know. I love the web shooters outside like that with those like cup, like wristband, almost see, like, yeah. That, like, was, that was the look of the Amazing Spider-Man TV series from the 70s. Yeah. So they brought that back. They don't mention it, but that had to be the inspiration. It had to have been. I'm I'm less versed in the Clone Saga. Is so it, he's the Scarlet Spider first with the sweatshirt, and then it turns into the revamp '90s Spider-Man with the the, the spider that goes out kind of a yeah. thing, and yeah. he keeps the web shooters on the outside kind of. Mm. A thing. I yeah, do love the web shooters on the outside. It's it's a boss look. Yeah, it ain't bad. And uh, so also it, all the people involved here are very big on hyping issue number four hundred, which according to Demetrius, quote is going to totally turn things upside down. Didn't we just have Spider-Man 300 like <laughs> two not two years ago? Like how many issues are they well, cracking? They're publishing like four different Spider-Man titles at this time yeah. and like a quarterly special title, you know. Uh, but I'm just curious when this was announced for you guys. Like did you buy a few of these issues? No. Did you buy all of these issues? I mean, Steve, you've made your opinion now. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm more of a DC guy. I, I was DC, X-Men, a little bit of Avengers. Spider-Man, I love the cartoon but spider-man was always so and i think this was probably part of the problem this was so incomprehensible to me i was like i have no idea like why can't he just not get you know why can't he just go on a date and get up by doc ock that'd be something i'd like my biggest problem i kind of dropped spider-man at this point because what you just said there was like four or five spider-man titles a month and you're like i just can't spend 20 bucks a month on one character and still not know what's going on <laughs> I was definitely a fan, but I was not buying it every month. But this is the storyline that got me buying Spider-Man mm. monthly. I was all on board with this because I love changing the status quo. You know, I love bringing in a new character that was going to take over. And that was specifically like there was this thing called Planet of the Symbiotes, which was going through these like oversized annual issues of the Spider books. So I started buying those. I'm like, oh, I'm finally reading the Scarlet Spider. I've just heard about him in Wizard. And it was Spider-Man, Scarlet Spider and Venom teaming up against all these invading symbiotes. And then from there, they did, you know, the sensational Spider-Man, Peter Parker retires, Ben Riley is Spider-Man now. And that's where I was like a fresh start. Now I'm buying Spider-Man every month. So yeah, I was all about it. Yeah, the sensational costume I liked a lot too. That was a very, yeah, a very cool one. Yeah, it's a lot. It's just a lot. <laughs> now, staying with Spider-Man, though, there is a fun article in here also called From Comic to Cartridge, chronicling the journey of the Maximum Carnage storyline from the comics page to the video game screen. Now, Acclaim Vice President of Creative and Product Development, that is quite a title, mm-hmm. Paul Sabulski reveals that they have been working very closely with the Marvel team, especially editor Danny Fingeroth, to create a faithful interpretation of the characters on screen. So, Samulski says, quote, he's walked in on more than one argument between his designers over which superhero could beat which in a fight. We hired nerds. <laughs> uh, they- I, I heard that Woody Harrelson played that game just to get into the mindset of Carnage. <laughs> that's that's what he did. He got, he got himself a Super after. Nintendo. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, they have actually been digitizing comics panels from this maxi series into the game and had access to the original scripts for the books about which Samulski comments, quote, you get to see how much of it actually changes 
is as the creators get into it. A lot of it is made up as they go along and is constantly changed. <laughs> and you know, Michael, you you are a film teacher, you are you know a filmmaker. And so for me, like this is one of those things where I never considered how much comics are like movies because I I always thought like they do the script and the storyboards are the story, so that it doesn't change because there's not a filming element. Yeah. But mm-hmm. the filming element is the artist yeah. finishing it. Yeah, no, it, it's it's really a unique process. I feel like the penciler would be best equated to like the storyboard artist. Yeah. And mm. then you have your colorist and your inkist that come in and they do all the, the overlays and do the angles and so on and so forth. And they tweak it. And, you know, if you ever watch a comic book artist draw how they erase, they, they drew their, their sketch lines, then they do the erase. And I'm like, it's amazing. I'm like, how do you make this not look like it's unbelievable? Blows my mind. Yeah, the, the depth they can get out of it. And yeah, I think a lot of stuff changes and like the script will be changing mm-hmm. as you're drawing because it takes a while to draw it. And I mean, I, I kind of, this comes up in the zero hour bit because there's some facts in there that I'm not even sure either are uh, misleading on purpose or maybe it was like at press time, this is what the story is. Mm-hmm. DC decided to go in a different direction. So cause it just takes a long time to get any of this stuff done. So I'm, like, yeah. I'm rereading zero hour right now for a, an episode we have coming up in the future. And I'm just like, this is cuckoo bananas. <laughs> like, what is happening here? It's a lot of characters that you would never know. Like, you need Wikipedia yeah. open all the time. It's, it's, it's like they called up George Perez and say, "Hey, who didn't you use in Crisis and Infinite Earths? We're throwing them in this book." Exactly. <laughs> a lot of like, God knows who, time travelers. It's insane. Now, getting back to the video game here, I'm just curious for you guys. Like, as far as Maximum Carnage, the video game, like this was so heavily promoted if nothing else like everybody remembers the ad of carnage yes. looming yes. over new york in red i mean and wizard has been putting in teaser ads leading up to this acclaim i should say is buying them so uh what are what are your memories of the maximum carnage video game was this a big one for you guys i rented it and i was underwhelmed i remember it wasn't my favorite spider-man game of that time there was that spider-man x-men arcades revenge or whatever the hell that oh, very bad that game, game was that game was oh, trash yeah i played that it was it was just like whatever you got for Christmas kind of a thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I, I rented I rented it. I was just a little underwhelmed. Than anybody else? So I had a Sega Genesis, mm-hmm. and I don't know. Was it on Sega? Was it only? Uh, no, it, it was both. Yeah, because I Nintendo, never so. played no, it. Never no. played it. I, I I saw it all the time and yes. never ever played it. <laughs> Yeah, like because it was it was very cool. The Super Nintendo, at least, they released a red cartridge yes. version, mm. so that was like super collectible. Still is actually, and then also like so I remember playing it, but I definitely only rented it because yeah, I am similar to you, Steve. Where I was just like, mm, like I love Final Fight. I like D- Double Dragon, and that's all this is. Yeah, uh, and I hadn't read Maximum Carnage in depth. I'd only picked up a few issues anyway, so it wasn't like I want to see it brought to life. But I had a friend, my buddy Ranu, who you know, he had moved from India when we were in elementary school. I was like a nerdy, fat kid, annoying kid, outcast, and he was the new guy from an international background. And so we kind of had to teeth hang in, out dude. Together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we were over here in a corner all through yeah. up until like freshman year. But I remember junior high, like he rented it, I rented it the same weekend. And then we came. He's like, he was just like, do you remember that part where you know Wenham shoots it? I was like, Wenham. He's like, so his V's were W's, and I was like, Radu, you know, I love you, but Wenham, okay. So that like that's always my memory. 
is Wenham and Spider-Man in Maximum Carnage, you know? <laughs> Sounds but, better, honestly. Yeah, it actually makes sense, you know, because you always were talking we. So. Yeah, we <laughs> well. the royal we. Weedum. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, speaking of Zero Hour, as you brought up here, we're not going to get deep into this, but DC wants to promote. I mean, they've been the top of the Wizard News the last few issues, so we get less than zero, which is an interview with artist-writer Dan Jurgens about this crossover event. And uh, like I said, we're going to save like a deep discussion of Zero Hour for our bonus episode that's coming up. But we'll tease you real quick with this quote from Dan Jurgens. He says, quote, There will be an element of weeding out to Zero Hour. There will be some thinning of the ranks. It won't just be the redundant characters who are eliminated either. By the time this interview sees print, the word will be out that Flash bites the dust in issue four. I was reading this in Brian Park yesterday and I have all the original issues. I bought them a couple of years ago and then oh, I was wow. like, you know, I think I need the omnibus. So I marched my <laughs> ass up because I'm such a <laughs> nerd for this story specifically. It was like so in my wheelhouse. And thankfully for my bank account, the only copy Mid Midtown had was out of the shrink wrap and a little crappy. And I was like, I'm not going to spend a buck 25 on this. Thankfully. That's awesome. So, so now you said though, I mean, we're, we're happy to let you tell us your thoughts as you were reading the comics and you recall that, but also then reading in Wizard in this article. So who stood out to you as a character or or some of the revelations they were teasing that didn't well, matter? The one thing, they, they talk about the Flash a lot, like the Flash dies, and I think he dies in the beginning. In like the second page. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I think it's kind of a fake out. I think by the end of it, he's back, but they're talking about it as if he's dead and then Impulse is going to take over, Bart, Bart Allen, all this stuff. And I'm like, was that a thing where like Mark Wade was just like, no, we're not doing that? Or was that just like a fake out to make you think like, oh my God, the Flash is dead forever and ever. Wally West is never coming back. Oh, it's a comic book. He's back. It was that. And like, yeah, obviously like the, all the Green Lantern stuff there. I'm, I'm a huge Kyle Rayner guy. That's my, I don't have a tattoo, but if I did, it would probably be the, the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern tattoo. But that is why I'm married and not um, <laughs> in a ditch. I would have. I would be in a ditch with a really cool Kyle Rayner tattoo. You, you are like the Earth Two Steven Sapelis because our other <laughs> co-host is also diehard Kyle Rayner. That's yes. his guy. Oh so, man, that's yeah. buds. <laughs> great name, great Green Lantern. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, uh, speaking of Dan Jurgens, though, he and Jerry Ordway are providing cover art for the preview book of Valiant's new event. Okay, it's called Chaos Effect. So the article is Order from Chaos and has. Valiant being very adamant that this is not a crossover because they feel that term has been overused and will turn off readers who feel they have to collect every tie-in book to get the full story. So Valiant is instead calling Chaos Effect a quote, mega adventure. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love it. So there are 18 books being published for the Chaos Effect story, but they assure you, the reader, that you only have to read two of them to get the whole story. And if you want, you can get extra details from the other 16 that's kind of uh, sad it's just it really sort of like is. i don't know don't you don't have to buy don't buy it if you don't want it you, you, yeah. you use your money on the marvel books they're better anyway you just need these two issues it's fine it's fine <laughs> well they're so confident about it because they say quote this is definitely a marketing play and that's what the valiant execs are saying and these two issues that you absolutely have to read are 40 dollars a piece yeah <laughs> But that's uh, what's weird, like, because the rest of the article is basically them just laying out the entire storyline as bullet points. You know, this is what's going to happen in each issue. This guy's going to fight this guy. This it, They always give away so much. The Valiant articles are always double-sized because they're literally spilling the beans on everything. That's fascinating. And, yeah, I, I find that too. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of detail. Yeah. 
Yeah. They're also having ads that run in Wizard with a chart that looks like a sports tournament bracket, just breaking down the reading order for all the tie-in issues. So again, they're, they think they're simplifying it, but it's it's a mess. It is yeah. clearly a mess. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like you don't you don't have to buy everything. If but if your name ends with a vowel, you want to buy these. If your name ends with a consonant, <laughs> definitely buy these. If you're an Aries, definitely buy this issue. Yeah. It, it seems a bit much. <laughs> so Steve, you you were mentioning him earlier. You know, a few issues back, Wizard had all these comic book professionals share their appreciation for Jack Kirby upon the news of his passing. So they all in the whole letters section was just them giving their tributes. But now we have an actual career retrospective of Jack Kirby titled simply The King. You know, we talked earlier about Stan Lee getting all this credit and the things we know about Kirby as comic fans is he co-created Captain America or he co-created nearly all the mainstays of the Marvel Universe and a lot of the cosmic side of the DC Universe. But did you know, listener, did you know, Stephen and Michael, that Kirby had actually been working since the 30s and he started doing in-between work on the original Fleischer Popeye cartoons? That blew my wig off a little bit because I'm a huge I'm a huge Fleischer guy too and I just did not know that factoid and I, I feel like I've read a lot about Kirby and I just that just maybe that went by the wayside it's really it was I, it was very interesting to me to find that out yeah definitely was and he actually also drew some of the original Shazam Captain Marvel comics yep. at Fawcett see I can believe that because Shazam Captain Marvel feels like a Jack Kirby kind of idea like especially when you think about it, like the new gods that he created wheelhouse he definitely fit in there i don't think he was really involved in like the origin no of the yeah i doubt it that but yeah but, but still I, it just feels like there's probably i've probably seen images from back then that are jack kirby drawings of that character yeah and like there's also the fact that he co-created a genre which are romance comics which were huge like in the 50s like when it was cowboys and romance comics that's what was selling him and danielle Steele are teaming up <laughs> he, he loved two things little kids fighting in alleys and people in love those are his two true loves it, i mean like he just such a multifaceted if you ever want to feel bad about yourself read about jack kirby because it's like oh and then and he also went to war and he came back and he did this and he did that and like it's just like, when did this guy take a shit and eat a sandwich like I, I, I it just seems to be my entire life and uh but this guy just did not stop yeah and like like to your point there steve like he actually said i was in gangs when i was a kid growing up in, on the streets of new york and other kids would come up from another block and then we'd have fights that's what we did he was west side story and newsies as well <laughs> and but he also got back into animation so it's so interesting that his career started there basically yeah. then 70s and 80s he's working on like the Hanna-Barbera Fantastic yeah. Four he designed the Herbie robot he was working on Thundar the Barbarian Plastic Man one of my favorites definitely yeah it's, it's, it's very like Neil Adamsy insofar as like he because he, he talks about you know in betweening taught him how to be fast and like you know what I mean it's, it's very Neil Adamsy in the advertising thing like I think mm -hmm. it's like one of those things where people can if they come from just not only caring about comics their comic work will be better because they're just more well-rounded absolutely speaking of someone who's new to the game, a shock to the system is an interview with 21-year-old hot artist Jay Lee about his new creator-owned project for Image Comics, Hell Shock. <laughs> oh, Hell Shock. Oh, hell yeah. Hell Shock, <laughs> Blood Man, Red <laughs> Tears, uh, Strike Force. 
Yeah, but yeah, they, they, they were big on the blood and hell at, at Image. Mm-hmm. They were all about it. <laughs> so Wizard asks if Hellshock is the first thing he's written, to which Lee responds, quote, it's probably the fifth thing I've written <laughs> since I've rewritten number one so many times. And so Lee says that when Liefeld hired him at Extreme Studios, he was offered the chance to do his own book, but he didn't think he was ready. So he says, quote, after writing my book, I've gained a whole new appreciation for writers in terms of what they must go through so so definitely this is the first foray into that and he tried to get it right because he's doing it over and over again but speaking of michael's favorite book wizard asks if he's worried (laughs) that his book will get canceled like shaman's tears tribe and the others that were at image for such a brief time and lee responds that it has to do with getting your work out on time which image they mention has a new policy about having three issues finished before announcing any book smart they got burned so bad with all that stuff also he mentions that if you have excessive violence or nudity, that's a bad thing. But then the interviewer just calls him out. He's saying like, quote, Image took the path of excessive violence a while back. <laughs> and Lee clarifies saying that, quote, Mike Grell in his book Shaman's Tears had breasts all over the place. You don't want to do that. And it's hypocritical. He's speaking of the people reading and getting upset. If a guy is getting his head chopped off or a heart pulled out, and then if you have a little nipple, they say, oh my God, look at what they did. So he thinks violence not such a big deal but hell shock guys that ring at any bells no oh yeah it, it's it, i have every volume on my nightstand <laughs> I, I i read it annually when you Wait, see the no. character Come design on. what is oh, it? Oh, I, I thought you had an issue of hell shock i was or do I you do. oh I, my this god is, this is hell shock number one i actually picked this up at an antique shop last week i actually saw it a few weeks ago during my birthday and i passed on it then i read this article I'm like i gotta go back i gotta read hell shock <laughs> So, so, Steve, I'm going to give you a little insight on Adam. <laughs> if, if you assume he doesn't have it, he has it. And he's got variants of it as well i am uh we're you know a uh, little little behind the curtain here we're doing this on zoom michael has a really nice uh, studio set up in the background adam it's impressive what what i'm looking at here is that a, a ton of vhs tapes? that absolutely is over a thousand oh. tapes on this one there's a whole other oh. uh, shelf system oh, over here God. big box yeah. tapes and everything else we so, moved yeah. uh, apartments we had i don't even know something like 500 we, we, we went down to two it was hard to get rid of some stuff oh. uh including one was some kid's special effects reel that we bought at a garage sale. Like I'm a fan of like weird haunted tapes, but I'm very impressed by your background. I'll (laughs) be honest with you. Nice. Yes. If you guys, again, those of you who have not checked out, we hate movies. Steve runs a very fun game on there with his co-host called the VHS uh, trailer game. Yes. very fun. I'm a big fan of VHS tapes. Hey there, gift-giving geeks. We're just taking a break to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, Fun.com. You know, Michael, Steven, and I buy each other presents all the time, and we're always looking for the most obscure and nerdy items to impress each other. Speaking for personal experience, Fun.com is a fantastic source for officially licensed pop culture clothing, toys from the likes of DC and Marvel. How about Ghostbusters or the Batman movies? Plus exclusive items 
items you just won't find anywhere else. There's actually a killer Venom t-shirt in an Eric Larson style available only at fun.com. It's super cool. And check this out. Just for being a listener to Wizards, the podcast guide to comics on the Retro Network, you can get 10% off your next order from fun.com through August 7th, 2021. The 10% will automatically be subtracted from your shopping cart total there on the site. Just click the link found in the show notes for this episode and the discount will be automatically applied. I've done it. I bought my daughter a Wonder Woman t-shirt, a Star Wars themed storybook for my son, and uh, maybe a few items for myself as well. So treat yourself or your geeky friends and family to the gift of fun from fun.com. So here's the thing, though. So I got to know what Hellshock is about, because to me, it just looks like the crow. Like, it's just Mm. like he's ripping off the crow. So I'm reading it. It's a lot of weird, like, imagery. There's not a lot of text, as you would imagine. He's an artist. And there's just, it's like weird demons. You see, like, a kid, and there's, like, bloody handprints all over a wall. And there's a lot of, like, abusive language in Mm. the thought bubbles. Like, people, like, yelling at him. He's remembering all this stuff. And then eventually you see this character who is uh, in a church, very daredevil, opening of the day daredevil movie where mm. you know this he's in a church and they're like there's somebody in there and the cop shows up so that's basically what happened okay. because it's only 16 pages <laughs> i was so bad because it's very atmospheric mm-hmm. and like i say it, it, it i was it was kind of pulling me in more than most image books do and i was like what there is a mystery here what are they gonna reveal and then it ended and i audibly said oh come on i i don't get into comics that much where i like yeah. that was a kind of visceral reaction out of me because the the rest of the book the other 16 pages pages are all the rejected like pages from the issue number one oh, that he didn't on. use That's and pinups and all this other stuff and wow. jay lee did uh, unless i'm mistaken he's the guy that did uh that inhumans run that was really kind of popular the marvel knights one yes 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 like really expressionistic art kind That's of stuff. a really good book like mm-hmm. re- marvel knights line of marvel stories in general was really good but that inhumans one is essentially what was the reason why they were trying to make a movie out of it. it was based off of that book and that mm. never happened yeah unfortunately that uh didn't go so well so michael is there any other shocking news from hollywood why don't you take us into heroes in motion So, okay, there's a lot of stuff going on here, and I'm actually looking at the pages, and I kind of skimmed ahead to see what I was in for. So, first of all, Batman 3 Mm. is officially now being called Batman Forever, which Wizard calls corny. And at the time, so did I. (laughs) (laughs) What what does it mean? (laughs) He's always going to be Batman. He's he's gone from returning to being forever. I don't understand. (laughs) I don't understand. He never went anywhere either way, but okay. It should be called Batman Forever Riddler Never. Just finish it. (laughs) Tommy Lee Jones is officially Two-Face. Robin Williams is out as the Riddler in favor of Jim Carrey. Chris O'Donnell is officially announced as Robin after a national search for an unknown actor to play the role proved fruitless. The most shocking thing, however, Liz, Michael Keaton at this time 
is still in negotiations. Just to say one thing with regard to Batman Forever, I have mixed emotions about this movie and we'll get Mm -hmm. to it at 90 Super Cinema in in a little while. But the one thing I have to say about this particular movie is it has one of the best teaser posters of any superhero film ever made. That big bat symbol with that giant question mark around it. I have a copy of that. That was the first movie poster I ever bought. Hmm. And I actually, when I bought my first car, I also got the Batman with the question mark decal on the back of my windshield because I just (laughs) love that idea of like, where is Batman? I just love that idea. I don't know. That's kind of how, that's my little Batman forever tidbit. That was, I mean, I was probably, I don't even know, 95, 12. And I was so excited for that. Like, probably my level of excitement was because I was I'm a big Robin guy too, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, oh my god, they're gonna show Robin. And I mean, I loved it as a kid. And it's it's a mixed bag, you know what I mean? It's campy. It's it depends on what you're looking for in, in one of those movies. It's definitely watchable. It's fun now. It's I, I feel funny, like there, there had to have been subliminal messages in the trailer commercials to kids from New York named Steven because <laughs> our co-host also he said he literally sold his bike to buy <laughs> tickets to go see Batman Forever. I don't know why that was necessary. Because Robin was in it. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, that is crazy. Wow. It's like time cop rules. If he was on here, we would merge into some weird blob yes, and just yes. turn into nothing. <laughs> you, you can't be in the same space at the same time. A- absolutely not. So, okay. There were rumors of a Black Panther movie being filmed, but it was a mix-up with a film called The Black Panther, starring Mario Van Peebles, unrelated to the Marvel superhero. Yes, very unrelated. Though, at this time, Wesley Snipes was lobbying hard to play Black Panther until Blade ended up coming along a few years later. But Mm -hmm. yes, like this was rumored for years that they were going to do a Black Panther movie. Wesley Snipes was going to be the guy. And there was like something about like him jumping on a tank. I remember at one point was something talked about or something crazy like that. Yeah, I remember reading about that again in in Wizard. I expected that movie to come out way before Blade. Like when then Blade came out, I was like, are they going to still do Black Panther though? Like it's like, no, they're, they're definitely not. So, okay. A new Punisher film is also rumored to be in development, possibly to star a female Punisher who was just introduced in the comics. A contender for this role is Sophia Crawford, a martial artist who has been featured in many Hong Kong action films. Of course, this movie never happens, but we did get the Thomas Jane Punisher about a decade later, which of the Punisher movies, that's my favorite Punisher movie, personally. Also, I never knew there was a female Punisher. I must now find this issue. I would love to read this. I'm really interested in this. Yeah, I never heard of it either. I was interested by this. and I never heard of this actress. Uh, it seems like a subgrade Cynthia Rothrock. Cynthia Rothrock exactly. is the Punisher yeah. I'm way into. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was kind of interested in this. I, I'm a uh, if we're asking favorite Punisher movie, the Dolph I think is underrated. It's it's, it's great. Yeah, it's I just Dolph watched it for the first time, like a, a really couple years the ago. First just time, like, yeah, because I, I I saw it in passing on TV yeah. growing up, but I never sat down and watched the whole thing. And like that funhouse fight scene is fantastic. I is love it Louis like, Gossett Jr. in that movie. Yes, yes. he it's rules. A, Iron <laughs> Eagles, man. Iron Eagle. Come on. I have you, two. The first two over here. Oh, on the they're show. the best yeah. ones. They're the best ones. I've so, never seen an Iron Eagle film. 
Maybe oh, maybe that's this weekend. Man. But you've seen Jaws 3D. Oh, yeah. Louis Gossett oh, yeah. Jr. I love Lou Gossett Jr. <laughs> oh my goodness. I also wonder if they were thinking about this whole female Punisher because like in movies like Point of No Return coming out around this time, La Femme Nikita was popular. Mm, this yes. Time. I wonder if they were trying to like play on that type of trope of, you know, the female crazy machine gun toting action hero kind of a thing. I feel like that's probably what they were going for in that. Who knows? There's also an interview with Tom Bertino, the animation supervisor who handled the special effects on The Mask, which the special effects for The Mask at that time blew your mind. It was yeah, amazing. absolutely. How- Bertino reveals that he is a huge comic book fan and that Dark Horse source material was definitely used in the development of the look of the character. Bertino's first professional film work was on Howard the Duck, which excited him for whatever reason. (laughs) (laughs) Howard the Duck. I mean, I don't hate that movie. I actually kind of enjoy that movie. Me too. It's a lot of fun. A little scary at times, but it's fun. But regarding how the movie turned out, he says, we won't go too much into the results there. Uh, (laughs) he says his next project is also a comics based character casper the friendly ghost in the live action movie hey it comes back around the aforementioned casper the ghost look at that (laughs) finally there is a giant two-page ad saying who is blank man find out in wizard 37 i can't wait. <laughs> uh, like, you don't understand. I want to like contact Damon Wayans and have him on the podcast and be like, we need to discuss this movie because I might be the blank man biggest fan on earth. Wow. Okay. I love this movie yeah. so much. I love it. He's got the blank station. Come on. It's amazing. <laughs> I haven't seen it in like 30 years. Oh, it's, um, it's a wonderful film. It's a wonderful film. Come on. Him and David Allen Greer in like their prime. And they're so funny in this movie. It's amazing. Though it was reported by wizard to be in development a year earlier it's likely most readers had no idea about this movie unless you were like an in living color fan then you were probably aware of it which i was have you covered blank man on your podcast at all not yet um it's and that's a yet i think it'll definitely happen at some point i think i remember that movie being like i I remember being a it's hilarious this like who is blank man like because i think i I got faked out because i remember watching it being like why isn't this a superhero movie even though i was a huge in living color fan as well and i'm a it was a huge comedy little nerd but i was just like oh man i wish it was more superhero y as a kid i'm kind of curious if it like how the comedy holds up I, i mean i think damon is hysterical and so is david allen greer and joan polito is the bad guy and that guy and that I one think I, so, yeah. Yeah. I think so yeah i think so yeah oh, you know the thing about it is and i'm not gonna get into, well, i'm sure we'll talk about it at some point yes is it's kind of playing on the trope of like the batman 66 genre mm. and if you watch it through that lens you're like i get what they're going for in this movie it's fantastic so that is our heroes in motion for issue 36 Adam, what's up next for us here? Oh, well, it's time to get into Jim and Todd's Hype Machine. (laughs) 
Steve, just give you a little history here. This originally was Rob and Todd's hype machine where we were tallying every time Rob Liefeld or Todd McFarlane were mentioned. But when Rob blocked us, he was retconned out of existence. And I recounted every magazine of Jim Lee's appearances and he took over the slot. Yeah. So let that marinate for a second. Mm -hmm. We we were approximately, I'd say, 20 or so issues in. And then when we were blocked, Adam went back through all the issues and recounted how many times Jim Lee's (laughs) name came up instead. That's the kind of dedication you get on the Wizards podcast guide to comics is Adam will put in the work where I'll just show up and read the dialogue. <laughs> I will say I'm a little jealous of this feud at this point. I mean, yeah. it's an honest to goodness feud. You know what? I don't have any current feuds. I'm a live and let live kind of a guy, but like, maybe I need a feud with somebody. Maybe Think I about can, it. Maybe I'll start one by the Fuck you, Adam. Maybe we'll see how that goes. Let's see, maybe, maybe that's how it's going to go. We're, we're going to have a, a rival podcast now. We're going to be just that's bashing it. each that... other for the next year. We already created our own alternate reality rival podcast, Heroes <laughs> you know, like so, the illustrated podcast so i don't know you, you have to work hard on this one now, so he you never even talked shit about him right you just like basically the fact that you were a wizard magazine podcast is all it took i love this so much yeah basically all we did he, he was angry at wizard on his podcast yeah. we said everybody listen to this because rob yeah. is giving his perspective and then yeah. he started getting mad because <laughs> other wizard staffers jumped oh. in on the thread and they were like oh imagine being a millionaire and still being mad at wizard magazine after all these years all yeah, this stuff yeah some somebody said something like why are you crying about something that was 30 years ago in a magazine that doesn't exist anymore i definitely yeah. listened to that episode that he's talking about and it was i was i had the exact same thought i'm like dude you gotta let this go this was yeah. a magazine from 30 <laughs> years ago like your stuff still sells you're doing okay you're married the whole thing like just bygones be bygones but he's blocking a podcast i'm very excited i'm sorry this yes. is thrilling me to my core Please continue. <laughs> so here's what we got. There's not much Jim Lee news this month aside from a joke letter asking if he, Jay Lee, and Stan Lee are related, <laughs> which is <laughs> obviously not the case. But there is also the fact that Jim Lee is now number three in the top 10 artists list. So he's taking a backseat to Stephen Platt, who is ruling next to Todd McFarlane, who has always been in the number one spot. So this top 10 list, from what we've heard from the Wizard staff, was always a point of contention with artists. It's why like they would get mad at Wizard, like, how come I can't get on the top 10? Like all that kind of stuff. The artists in the industry took it seriously. This random fanzine essentially just saying, we like these guys best. And let me tell you, for the last half a dozen or so issues have been so high on this Stephen Platt guy (laughs) that it's like nauseating at times. I'm like, I'm reading this. I'm like, if I have to read this guy's name again. Who is Stephen Platt, might I ask? So he, he got big on Moon Knight, right? Okay. And then Rob Liefeld grabbed him and pulled him over to his studio to do Profit. And oh, I got to okay. say, we, we've been posting stuff from issue 35, which had a Profit cover on our social media this week. And people are coming out of the woodwork. People who haven't listened to the podcast saying, I love Stephen Platt. I love Profit. It was the best. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> Fascinating. No. <laughs> he still works today. Like he does a lot of current stuff for various companies. He's really, really talented. He's an amazing artist, but I just, he just comes out of nowhere on a book like Moon Knight. And I'm like, <laughs> what? 
and literally this this moon knight book has been in the top 10 list for like six months because of this guy's art and then, and then right after his profit cover that became the new number one book like it's just been non-stop plat everybody calls him splat lovingly s flat so uh now in todd mcfarland he is making his presence known with an ad for spawn which has the tagline almost monthly from image comics <laughs> <laughs> so at this point he's either just having fun with all the haters or he's trying to be honest he's like mm. look i'm doing my best here <laughs> and his ego column this month i don't know if you remember the steve that Tom McFarlane had a running column in Wizard Magazine oh, no. for many years. Yeah. And so uh, ego stands for everyone's got opinions. Mm. And he says here that he is making a plea to the fans for an alternate method of conducting signings at conventions so that everyone won't be mad at him because he has a rule of one item per person he will sign and you get a number when you come in and you get called by that number and that's how you know it's your turn to come up. It's not just waiting in line all day, which he thought would be better he's like you have a guaranteed spot why would you be mad but he says people still get on his case and he he claims that the winner who solves his problem will receive a, a spawn prize pack okay so I have all these special goodies but i'm just curious steve are you a convention guy do you like to get the signatures no i never did and i think that was mostly again like growing up not a ton of cash but you know as an adult i've gone and i've still not i'm not great with the brief celebrity interaction kind of a thing yeah. like they're so great like i, I remember like Michael Shabon, one of my favorite books is Kevlar and Clay. I stood in line for that book to get signed. And it's, it's one of my prized possessions, but it was one of the most awkward moments of my life. Cause I'm like, hey, it's, it's, it's really great. I think it takes so much. You know, like <laughs> it, it just every time it's that. And it's like, I don't, I, so like, it, it takes a lot to get me out of that. I do like to go to conventions, but I kind of treat them as a big shopping mall. Like I just kind of go and I buy a bunch of shit and just spend the whole day kind of bumming around. That That's my fun part of it. You know, it's funny. I had a similar issue back in the day. Like I, I would be like, but that's all folks. And, and, yeah. and then I met Peter David actually once mm. and had a conversation with him about nothing, about Supergirl, essentially. And it kind of like made me realize like, wow, these guys are human. <laughs> and, and, and then like I talked to Chris Claremont once and I was like, wow, I still have the chills in the back of my head. I just feel right now just thinking about talking to Chris Claremont. But I'm like, I just I had a conversation with this guy and it was like just weird and it's still yeah. still interesting but it's i can understand your point of view like like how do i not sound like oh my god you're the greatest thing i've ever seen in my life oh my god i'll have your children <laughs> it just and even if i want to be cool or whatever it's not even that it's just like no matter what i come up with it just comes out like, oh, those really great so thank you so much it just, it just it, somehow it's that no matter what i do it is that yeah i mean yeah that's true i mean and yeah my only major attempt at that was meeting mike all read at a convention and his wife Laura because I'm a huge Madman fan nice. and I you know got a signature I, got, I was like I, I wrote a song about <laughs> Madman and his girlfriend and I, I'm gonna I, I can I send it to you because I'll send it to you sometime I never did you know but I was just <laughs> like I played it on this podcast though and Mike Allred has listened so I gotta gotta give him his heads up <laughs> can, there can but... I have a piece of your skin Mike Allred <laughs> please, please. <laughs> but getting back to Todd here because he loves the spotlight uh, one of the items he says is going to be in this prize pack is a Mattel hot wheels spawn mobile which
which is an item that is actually spotlighted in the toying around section as a potentially hot collectible because it's being reported that Walmart is going to be receiving maybe only 10 Spawn Mobile cars per store and they come packaged with a Spawn comic book and they're saying the appeal is so wide because there's the diehard Spawn readers but then there's also just general hot comics collectors yeah. <laughs> yes. and then the crazy Hot Wheels fans Yeah, I that... still have my Hot Wheels my daughter plays with them to this day good for you man that's awesome <laughs> and I, I mentioned this recently in one of our Wizard Files interviews but I used to manage a KB toy store and that was what was stolen it was always Hot Wheels and Matchbox cars and then the collectors would call in they're like did you get your new shipment of Matchbox yet hey uh, where's your Hot Wheels you know like they're just like they bothered me so much yeah and that's gotta be a very specific fandom like that and Lego obviously Lego is its own mm-hmm. whole nother mm-hmm. mess but the Hot Wheels is a real resale value you know oh my god this version of this car the, the wheel is painted gray <laughs> lose my mind kind of a fan so getting to our final count here in this issue Jim Lee mentioned five times Todd McFarlane just three which brings our running total to Jim Lee 223 <sighs> mentions Todd McFarlane 209 I feel like Todd's losing ground I mean he was catching up for a while there and Jim just keeps jumping ahead I, I feel like there's going to come a point where like I think when Jim Lee kind of like steps away from the image world and there's like a downtime without him for a little while you'll see that change until Hush comes and then it will be game over yeah you, you have the late 90s you have the Spawn movie and the, the Spawn HBO show there's a lot yeah. to talk to Todd about yeah. kiss the ring kiss and then the ring. his blessed his weird sports fandom will come up all the baseballs he buys and yeah. all mm-hmm. sorts well, of well I mean the truth is though Jim Lee has a lot of books and he has mm-hmm. team books that he you know like so yeah he has a lot of characters that he's publishing and Todd is always just spawn 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 like that's all he ever really does and so that that's why like he he was not branching out he was just focusing all his energy on one character and one book I, I don't know if you know this now since the spawn 300 issue he's now launched the spawn universe I just saw these coming up on Twitter and I'm just like what let's lady spawn and all yeah. this stuff yeah oh uh, like, so it's like we're doing the Deadpool thing but yeah. Spawn, yeah, God. yeah it's like some sort of spawn multiverse not, not for me but yeah <laughs> but you know the, a lot of those books back in the day they were wall books and so Michael I think it's time you take us into Punisher's Price Guide Earlier, we talked about the Spider-Clone saga in this issue. Wizard highlights Amazing Spider-Man 149 in their comic watch section as the biggest comic watch sleeper of all time. But also comments, it doesn't get stupider than this. (laughs) (laughs) To echo Steve at the top of the show, yeah. (laughs) It's like... Wow. Okay. That's a huge. That's a huge shot too. Again, you 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 have this huge puff piece on like, oh man, the clone saga is coming. Guys, it sucks. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just gotta sneak it in. It's horrible. Don't <laughs> buy it. But but watch out for this book at the same time. You'll be you'll be glad you did. So there seems to be a mixed message from Wizard as to how to feel about this particular book. Now we're going to compare the prices of the book in '94 and today to determine if this book is a burnout, meaning it's dropped in price, a firestorm, meaning it's stayed about 
about the same or a fire star, meaning it's jumped significantly in value. Without even reading this, I'm going to guess it's a burnout. That's my really. Feel- okay. That's my feeling. Okay. Okay. In 1994, Wizard reported the value of Amazing Spider-Man 149 as $16. But in May of 2021, an ungraded copy of the first appearance of Spider-Clone sold on eBay for between $31 and $51, depending on the condition. So, wow, I am wrong. <laughs> Unsurprising, but I am wrong. But inflation, uh, it's its kind of close, honestly. Yeah. Right. It, it is. I mean, the strength of the yen also weighs in here. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So congratulations, Amazing Spider-Man number 49. You are actually a fire star based on, I'm going to say, semantics. <laughs> so Steve, how about for you? We're like, you said you didn't have a lot of money growing up. So were there wall books that you always wanted that you remember seeing up there? Uh, were you just like, please? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, but I was always the, the dupe that I had a stupid suitcase in my bedroom that I would buy. You know, I bought the death of Superman and I'm like... <laughs> this is the retirement. Like, this is it. <laughs> Things are going to change around here. Like, I had that. I had the Kyle Rayner first Green Lantern one, which somehow I lost, which bummed me. I mean, I, it, you know, I could buy it for four bucks right now. But you know what I mean? Like, I remember, like, having these things, putting them in a suitcase, being like, just sit on this, friend. Uh, and, like, obviously the market went to shit. And there was, I didn't know there was six million of each of these uh, that are now in landfills. Kind of. With the E.T. video game. <laughs> I, yeah. I actually, last week, just picked up a wall book myself. Really? I'm going to go get it. I'll show okay. you. I'm excited about this. <laughs> Steve, I'm curious, do you have any books that you've been able to, over the years, you saved up for? Is there a, an expensive book in your collection? No, you know, I'm not. That's the thing is I'm not like, I, I'm, I'm much more of a trade guy. I uh, was always a, I, I know I was a read and burned to the ground kind of a thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, it would give real comic collectors hives to see I was holding my comic books. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I just was unable to sort of hold on to stuff. Like, I, but now I'm a big bargain bin crapola. Like yes. I go, I love the the twenty dollar bundle of like a run of something. I plow through those, yeah, kind of a thing. So I just bought a wall book, and I bought it for ten bucks. I'll be honest, it was ten dollars. It wasn't like you know something mm-hmm. crazy, but the cover grabbed me, and it is Wonder Woman two eighty four, and it is Wonder Woman on a dragon, and she goes, the dragon stalks the streets, but it also says on the top of it, together again for the first first time the huntress and the earth Two robin which are like oh. like my favorite interpretations of both those characters that's literally why i bought it <laughs> I, I knew it i knew it was the huntress it had nothing to do with wonder woman if no. it's huntress he's in i was like whoa earth Two robin i love that costume and i love helena wayne huntress i'm buying it here's my ten dollars <laughs> sir <laughs> he put it on the wall just for you you know what sucks though i tried things i don't want to open it because it's in really good good condition it's not on comiXology so i can't buy it digitally to read oh. it. it they have like 243 245 no 240 yeah. like no if it was in my house i would have read it and they would have ketchup on it those two things would have happened <laughs> all right well you know i think that takes us through this issue steve i'm just curious as you've been reading through your other issues of wizard that you've picked up what's been the most enjoyable 
part to you? Is there a particular feature that you love? Is there just something that it brings back for you? It's it's it's, it's the nostalgia for sure. I love the ads. The ads drive me crazy. The video games of like, you know, just thinking back on wherever I, you know, wherever that ad hit me. I do like reading the features still, like the, the long features about like, you know, oh, I was reading something with Frank Miller, which is really, and it's, it's from a, a later, like I think it was like in the 70s, issue 70s, not 1970s. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's just about him like talking shit about the entire industry and like just these kind of weird pre-internet, you know, this is going to wind up in a landfill. Like, I mean, obviously it set the industry of fire if somebody's talking shit, but at the same time, it's a little less precious and sort of everybody's great kind of a thing. Like literally rivalries kind of existed in that way. <laughs> yes, Michael has read many letters of, you know, these creators taking shots at each other in the, in yes. the letters it, column. So it, it, it like breaks my heart a little bit. I'm like, come on, can't we all just get along? <laughs> uh, well, Steve, if people have enjoyed your brand of comedy here and your brand of nerdery, uh, it also extends to the world of movies. So what can you tell them about your podcast, We Hate Movies, and where they can find you? Like I said, we started in 2010, which is, God, so long ago. So we have an, an enormous back catalog. So if you work a job where you're, you you have a lot of downtime, it's it's kind of a fun thing to have in your ears. It's just a bad movie podcast. Me and three other people just t- kind of talking sass, cursing a lot, and doing bad Michael Caine impressions. We're doing our summer blockbuster extravaganza month. We're doing Jonah Hex on our main feed at some point this month, which I have not seen in a really long time. And the first time I saw it, it was really wasted. So it'll be kind of a first time through for me. Uh, and we're doing on our Patreon, we do We Love Movies, A History of Violence, another comic book film. Yeah. Um, oh, History and- of Violence is a fantastic movie oh. it's I, I we just rewatched it i was just blown away by it, oh, it, it, it I holds love, up that movie is I, I i watched the movie then bought the comic that's how good <laughs> oh my god that movie's really good and then what's that one tom hanks uh road to oh, perdition road to perdition's excellent i want to i want to go back to that because that i haven't seen in like oh, 12 that's, years or that's something a like brilliant that. movie too gangsters yes. come on it's great sam awesome. amazing uh yeah so patreon.com slash we hate movies whmpodcast.com for everything else if you want to follow me i'm at at Steven Sadak on Twitter. Uh, you'll never know it unless I spell it, which is S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-A-J-D-A-K. Oh, yes. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for joining us. And thank you so much, the listener, for checking out another episode of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. So we are excited to let you know that you can look forward to a mini episode. Yes, there are sections of this magazine, believe it or not, that we did not cover. And also as part of the next mini episode, I will be reviewing because it finally debuted to this issue Wetworks number one yes three <laughs> years in the making Wetworks number one hit the comic shelves and so you will get my opinions on actually issues one through three so that's going to be an interesting discussion with myself Michael where can they find us on social media if they want to join the discussion on Twitter they can find us at Wizards Comics on Instagram they can find us at Wizards underscore comics you can find us on YouTube at Wizards Podcast and you can search for on our T Public store, which is Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. And until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded. <laughs> <laughs>